The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. The reasons why children end up on the streets are complex. Often, their arrival represents an active decision on their part in response to serious rights violations at home, says Moses Ogatu in Under the Bridge, The Invisible Lives of Street Children. Ogatu was a child of the street for five years. Today, he is an international business and trade lecturer at the African Leadership University and a 2017 Mandela Rhodes Scholar. Ogutu's life journey is proof that children who end up on the street can and do rise above the challenges they face. Ogutu points out that homelessness among youth is a global problem. And in each jurisdiction, the reasons a child arrives on the street are both individual and eerily similar worldwide. Krista Thompson, the past CEO of Vancouver's Covenant House, agrees. She says there are many reasons and many successful intervention strategies that work to help young people who clearly have smarts and grit and problem-solving abilities to move forward toward a more positive future. One such strategy is Relentless Support, a program that Covenant House offers. I invited Krista Thompson to join me for a conversation that matters about ensuring young people are not forgotten, are visible and supported to grow, develop, and most importantly, realize their potential. Krista, welcome. Thanks, Stu. I think all of us, when we see uh, uh, a young person living on the street, have to be very careful that we don't go, oh, well, there's a lost life, because that's not a foregone conclusion, is it? It's not. Absolutely not. And, you know, with a, with a couple of, uh, you know, interventions, um, the trajectory can be very different. And if you can kind of interact at a, the, you know, at a, at a moment in time in a young person's life, you can change the trajectory of that young person's life. We've seen it. We do it. And, um, you know, always trying to do more of it. Young people are, you know, they, they've never sat down and said, I want to be a homeless person. N didn't happen. So, you know, they're there for a whole variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, poverty is often right at the top of the list, um, which has led to somehow family breakdown, which is second on the list. Um, experience with government care is probably 50% of the time a young person's been in care. And the common thread is that most of those young people on the street are simply uh, detached from a system, from school, and from family. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's up to them to disclose, you know, what happened to them so that, that, that they became detached. Because uh, through no fault of their own, they, they find themselves where they are. Clearly, they have a will to survive, though, because they've said, I'm going to leave something that is worse than being on the street being you know we might look at them as being cast adrift but maybe it is their first act of acknowledgement of the challenges that are in the environment that they're living in and they're taking that first step forward it may not look like it's a positive step to many people but that that very act may be their first you know i'm standing up for myself act survival survival instincts are strong right in all of us 
But I think particularly when you've been, you know, from a young age, you've been in, let's say, an unstable environment or a dangerous environment. Um, and uh, you, really, you really feel no other choice but to, to leave the situation. And if the street or couch surfing or whatever, whatever option they choose is better than home, then you got to know that home was probably a pretty, pretty bad place. And that's not always the case, but it often is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, the, I think the thing that I often feel like I must remind people of is that, you know, a homeless kid is the, the least interesting thing about a homeless kid is that they're homeless. <laughs> right. Really. Yeah. I mean, and, and they come from all walks of life. You know, so at any one given day at Covenant House Vancouver, there's a young person who has, is a refugee um, with no history of drug abuse, is a LGBTQ youth who has been shunned by their family and no longer has a place to live. That happens close to home and regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and a young Indigenous person who's left their Northern Reserve to find family who is somewhere in Vancouver. That's another often uh, Hmm. uh, occurrence. Um, In many cases, uh, it's family breakdown and the remaining parent or the parents can't cope uh, because of their own mental health concerns slash poverty slash poor coping skills slash lack of education and on and on. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. So how do you then intervene in a way that, uh, that a young person can appreciate and, and understand? And I asked that question from uh, a fantastic, uh, I guess, uh, little story that I once heard about someone who was in great trouble um, and they needed help. Um, and an unlikely source came to them and, uh, and they said, why are you helping me? And he says, well, I can tell you a little story about a guy who's walking along the street and uh, there's a, a manhole with the cover that's off, but there's no markings around there. And the guy falls down the hole. And he's down in the hole and he's uh, yelling, help, help, I've fallen down this hole and I can't get out. And a priest comes by and says, uh, well, say three Hail Marys. And, uh, you know, um, and then the priest goes on his way. He goes, but I'm still down in the hole. And then a doctor comes along and the doctor writes a prescription. And the person says, well, I'm still down in the hole. And then a friend comes along and... uh, I was getting a little choked up when I tell this story. Friend jumps in the hole. Yeah. And they go, what are you doing down here? Now we're both in the hole. And the friend says, I know, but I've been here before. Yeah. And I know the way out. Yeah. Follow me. Like how important is it that when you're seeking help, you seek it from somebody who has been there? Um, Well, I I think that's, I I think having been there or at least having some, uh, you know, a measure of empathy is so important, right? Right. Um, 
the thing is that you know many of these young young the young people have not actually had a friend. Yeah. They, they haven't had a trustworthy adult in their life ever. Yeah. Perhaps, or if they did, that person is gone uh, for some reason. And so trust is a trust is a very difficult thing to earn with a, a young person who's been through mm-hmm. um, tr- some traumatic event, often at the hands of the people that are supposed to be looking after them. So yeah. that you know, it takes a lot of courage to walk up to a doorway like Covenant House's doorway and walk inside and go, "I need help." Like, have you? How many times do you have an easy time asking for help? Right. Kids are the same thing. They're they're proud. They are um, scared. Um, often their health isn't good, and they don't trust anybody. Right. So we have to work really really hard to make sure that we are where they are number one so they can you know sort of um, encounter us uh, just walking down the street we're just where they are we have to be sure that what we say we're going to do we do we have to be sure that you know our buildings and our staff are highly trained to understand you know what trauma does to a young person and how to how to meet a young person and make them feel safe soon mm-hmm. so there's lots there's lot it's a sophisticated thing in other words at the same time you know it, it's a simple sometimes is um you know decent a decent place to sleep you know high safety um quiet nutritious meals sometimes for the first time in their life a doctor's appointment sometimes they haven't had one for a long time you know some of the basic things and we tend to woo young people with some of those some of those good things including yeah. two in Vancouver two fantastic new buildings that are very cool and are um, you know are very welcoming and look very welcoming and approachable I know it's cliche <laughs> to say I'm gonna overwhelm them with love but in essence in in some ways that's what you're saying but it's it it's a very complex equation and it must have to be tailor-made for each child because yeah. everybody's life path is different a hundred percent and and that's why systems struggle with really transformational um, help of these young people because systems a systems don't love well no. number one people do but systems not necessarily and also systems tend to lump uh, the systems like categories they like to, to categorize or label particular populations and they attach some kind of prescription with that label and that's what you're going to get you're going to mm-hmm. get that dosage that frequency because you've been labeled as this thing well these, these are individual young people they they know bs when they hear it and they know when a service is not right for them mm-hmm. you know i'll take your food but the rest of this stuff is not what i need mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it can take months before a young person trusts us enough to a accept any help but B, to then take the next step. You know, once nutrition and safety and sleep uh, and their immediate medical needs are met, now what? Okay, right. Now, now you what? can start to move up the hierarchy of well, needs about where do you go? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the question for a young person is so where do you see yourself? What do you dream about? How would you get there? Well, I dream about this, but I have absolutely no idea how to get from where I am today 
to an architect or a doctor or a tradesperson or some of the things that kids just you know dream about doing. So why what what presents that challenge with uh, for them to be able to envision a future and then to work towards it? Well, you we were talking yeah, off camera about um, you know what it's like to be someone who's hasn't been able to stop in survival mode long enough to actually contemplate mm-hmm. what their next steps might be because they're in constant survival mode. And you know, we're learning so much about brain science, right? And right. we know what the lizard brain is doing and how judgment just shuts off and you're operating out of straight survival. And so it's just one foot in front of the other, off and running. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be five or ten minutes out, and that's about it. Well, and these yeah. are young people too, right? So right. we know that their brains haven't finished developing until they're twenty-five years of age. So on to, average, uh, on yeah. average, yeah. yeah, some of us a little later. Um, but <laughs> you know, we're we're asking a young person who's detached from family, detached from systems, traumatized probably, not in great health, whose brain hasn't stopped, hasn't finished developing, their right. judgment center is not complete. Mm-hmm. And despite all that, they often you know, can, can pull it off. And sometimes they need a hand. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, so planning, uh, attending school, showing up for jobs on time, all those things become very difficult because they haven't necessarily had experience with that, nor have they had role models that provide a, a picture of what that life might look like. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. you know, in my introduction, I also uh, indicated that we want to make sure that these people, uh, young people, uh, feel as though they are seen, that they're not invisible, yes. because uh, that goes so much to uh, one's sense of self. Um, and so how do you help to get them over that hurdle because if they've been on the street, they know what it's like to be invisible. Yeah. Um, how do you help them grow into that position where they go, I, I have a right to be here and to be seen? It's a, it's a, great, it's a great question. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's uh, something that we all can relate to because all of us are tempted to look away, <laughs> right? I mean, we see, oh, it's so sad to see the people in, in living in, in conditions that we don't, we, we don't even know why, given that we, we have a social safety net here in Canada, why, why is this young, this young person or older person, um, you know, living in, in, uh, in the outdoors exposed the way they are? I think we're, we're all, you know, it's very hard for many of us, deeply saddening and, and, and frustrating too, because we don't know how to help. But, you know, just sometimes the simple act of looking someone in the eye and saying, I, even though I can't, don't have money to give you or I can't do that for you, I see you. Yeah. Like literally make eye contact with someone. And, you know, with a smile on your face and with, you know, with a good morning. And yeah. because lots of these folks don't even expect that, as you know, to see it. But I, I'd, I'd say that, you know, working with, with young people at Covenant House, Often we convey that message not through words. You know, words are, are one thing, but actions are the other thing. Right. So 
you know, if you've, again, following through on what you promise to do is something that's unusual often for, for a young person in these situations. They, so They're not used to people doing that. Not, they're not used to people doing what they say they're going to do. So right. we talk about, we're, this is what we're going to offer you, and we do. You know, so uh, through through walking through the door of a Covenant House site in Vancouver, there's an uh, unspoken message. It's a beautiful space. You deserve a beautiful space, mm-hmm. brackets. There's a person that comes and greets you, friendly, welcoming, non-judgmental, which says, I accept you. You are okay. You are welcome here. And we're happy that you're here. And we say that, we obviously do say that in words, but we say it in the way that we the way that we deliver services too, and the way that services look, and the, the beautiful food that we produce. I mean, we're not we're not pulling a box out of a out of a freezer and sticking it in a microwave. We actually take the time and employ st- employ staff in our own kitchens right. to create a beautiful, balanced, and beautiful looking meal consistently every single time they sit down for a meal. You know, those kinds of things are often say much more than words do about about how we feel about them and what they deserve. So in that I hear, I respect you. And when you respect somebody, you set aside any minor differences that you have and you find ways to work together and move forward. The benefit, and I think that it's incumbent upon all of us is to recognize that the benefit to all of us is that if we play a role in helping somebody else realize their potential, not what we think their potential is, but their potential, The benefits are felt everywhere. Yeah, I mean, and, and as any parent know, parent knows if it's if it's if it's your idea, it's probably less of a good idea than if it's your kid's idea, right? It just it just is the way mm. humans are made, and I think it's great. Um, and once a young person understands what their options are, you know, they choose great options, you know, and they get to at Covenant House, they get to explore. You know, they'll meet someone who's practicing architecture. They have an opportunity to be mentored by somebody who's practicing architecture. What are the steps? How do you get to be an architect? What does it take? And, you know, uh, anyway, there's, I mean, I could talk for days about, about the kinds of services that we offer that I think are part of a successful model. But there's probably some key pieces of the model that I, I would like people to understand uh, need to be part of a successful service. So if I can talk about one of them, which may surprise you, maybe it won't surprise you, but it's the type of funding model that Covenant Covenant Mm -hmm. House has that I think has been a big part of the success of the organization. And I talk about funding models because, you know, it's so challenging for some of my colleagues who are funded solely by or primarily by government contracts Mm -hmm. to be able to be agile enough and uh, and and provide the dynamic kind of programs that are required uh, because government takes time to to uh, change its mind about the kind of contract work you you will be doing to be paid by government. So policies change, funding requirements change, and people are sort of going guardrail to guardrail, trying to conform to the current policy. Um, preferences of the current government, which may last a year, two years, certainly never longer than four years. Right. And may not necessarily be indicative of the needs. Well, uh, sometimes they are, absolutely. But they're not the only needs. And the the thing is, 
you know, an array. You know, this is not, there's no silver bullet to this problem. This, you know, getting back to the idea of wicked right. problems. You know, there's, a, there's an array of, co of supports that need to be coordinated and delivered yeah. where pe people are at. I mean, the, just that, that basic concept makes sense to everybody, right? right. But, um, but, you know, as, as crises come and go, crack cocaine was a crisis that came and went, sort of. Uh, the fentanyl crisis obviously is with us and has, you know, maybe with us for a, a while. Um, you know, governments do try to respond to those things as they emerge, but the government has a difficult time being because they're not as agile. Exactly. Right. So, we, so what is it about the Covenant House uh, funding model that gives you that freedom? We fundraise <laughs> for, to private individuals, individuals like you and I. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, uh, our fundraising is uh, to literally talk to thousands of people. Um, you know, we have 50,000 individual donors that support Covenant House. And that's not an inexpensive uh, exercise. No. We invest in fundraising because it produces the ability to be agile and develop the kind of programs that we need to develop to serve kids. And we've figured out a sustainable fundraising model that year after year after year we can consistently deliver that kind of the kinds of programs that they need. We consistently staff the programs with staff that are qualified and very experienced because we haven't had to lay them off because a contract ended. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. What I like about this model is yeah. that it also gives a, a whole host of people who want to help, yeah. but feel that they can't step up yes. with a, a significant amount. But there is also some benefit in the act of giving as well that they then get to feel like they've been a part of different outcomes. Yeah, it's as a fundraiser, you know, it's great to be a catalyst for that for that feeling with people. It's it's a beautiful thing to watch, you know, and to be able to bring people into proximity with with young people who are receiving the benefit obviously is is quite wonderful to watch. Um, we also had some very, you know, people of significant wealth who contribute to Covenant House as well because they really see as we all do, that when everybody, you know, when everybody's better off, everybody's better off. Exactly. And, you know, young people are great, great focus because they're young and they've still got their whole life ahead of them. And, you know, it's exciting to watch them transition into, into adulthood. Well, I want to encourage anybody who's watching this to reach <laughs> out and be, be a supporter of Covenant House because of the work that is being done to help young people at a very, very important point in their lives and that yeah. can help them realize their potential. I think that it's something, as you say, when everybody is better off, everybody's better yeah. off. Yeah. Well, thank you for that plug. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I know that our, our, everyone at Covenant House will appreciate that. Um, at the very least, jump on the website, on the Covenant House Vancouver website, because there's great stories there about young people. You can hear, read about the kinds of journeys that they've had and the kind of successes they've had. Yeah. And, you know, I'm gonna. I'm also gonna say this. You know, many, many, many young people do very well at Covenant House, and then there's going to be a group of young people that don't. Yes. Okay. Mm. And that's a reality. And I don't. I, I like to talk about the reality of the world we work in because um, otherwise, uh, you know, we're not talking about. We we may be talking about the success stories, but we also need to talk about the kids who 
have bigger barriers yeah. to success. And some of them, um, you know, will probably require care for the rest of their life. There, it is ever thus, right? Mm -hmm. But probably, you know, I hate to throw, you know, put percentages in because they, they can be, they could fluctuate, but, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20%, sometimes some years, as much as 30% of the young people we work with are likely to need support for the rest of their life, whether that's disability um, payments, um, you know, um, uh, subsidized housing, uh, or fully, um, you know, full wrap of mental health support. Well, let's make sure that they do have that support. Um, yes. Because we do not want them to be uh, forgotten um, and left. Uh, well, we're seeing a horrible uh, human experiment unfolding on the streets, yeah. not too far from this studio right yeah. now. And, and that's not humane. Uh, it's not caring for our fellow human being. Well, it, it, experiment is an interesting word. Mm -hmm. You know, there's... You know, I think about the world of, of addictions these days, and you know, there's so many different interventions that we're talking about in addictions, whether it's safe supply, harm reduction, um, you know, some really kind of what would have been considered years ago, some pretty out there kind of solutions, knowing that these are experimental. Uh, we also are finding through experimentation that lot, you know, here's what's not working, but here's some of the things that are working. Mm -hmm. I, I think the public might get frustrated because they're not seeing instant results in some of this experimentation and some of it really isn't working. But what we are discovering is that vir virtually nothing, none of these interventions work in isolation. They must work in a coordinated fashion with the other aspects of, of uh, social benefit. Right. And Another one of our challenges, in, you know, in Canada, I think, and in other jurisdictions as well, face the same problem: is this sort of disjointed coordination of services. I know you've, I know you've heard that before from other other folks, but it, it, I can't say enough about how important it is for the young, to the success of the young people at Covenant House, that they have easy doorway, one easy doorway to walk through, and all of a sudden there's an entire array of easy to access supports with someone to guide them along to say, well, you might want to start here and we're looking at your literacy scores and we're seeing that your literacy scores are iffy, like how was your school experience awful uh, because I, was, you know, I, I couldn't read or I was streamed in from the Congo because that's where I lived um, to um, you know, being able to help. Okay, good. Walk through this door, young man. Mm -hmm. And we have a homework coach that will work with you to help you with your literacy skills so that when you are taking your adult ed program, your, your reading is going to start to improve. Right. Um, oh, here's another doorway. It's the dentist. You know, the kid hasn't smiled for five years because his teeth are so, um, so poor. Yeah. And they literally haven't smiled for years and are embarrassed to smile. Try job hunting when your teeth are, you know. Right. Rotten. Um, so here's the we 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 are we're getting the sense that you're you're concerned about you know your dental health. How would you feel about having some dental dental support? What's that? Well, introduce you to the our volunteer dentist who will help you create a new smile. Wow, powerful stuff, right? Yeah. So I mean, an array of supports needs to be easy to access. Under one roof is probably 
functionally a great idea, um, at least coordinated. You know, at least one person walking alongside that that young person who can show them each one of those doors. Uh, it's called case management. It's not a new new concept. It's just we don't fund it consistently. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing these insights, and I encourage everybody to uh, have an open heart and see people for what their best can be. Uh, whether yep. the young people or others who are struggling with challenges, uh, we need to look after one another. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a subscriber. And thank you to Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and Stem Cell Technologies for their support.